0: Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.
1: Hey, welcome to the last episode of Africa State of Mind for the year 2017. The past few weeks have been incredible. We spoke to unbelievable and inspirational people from across the African continent and even hopped over oceans. We couldn't have done this without your support. Thank you a bazillion, gazillion, matrazillion times. (laughs) You know what I mean. Basically, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all your support. We still have so much more in store for you. So please do subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever else it is that to pick up your podcasts. If this is your first time listening, don't even worry or fret about it. You now have time to catch up with the Africa State of Mind family. Catch up on a great conversation and episodes that we had with legends such as Femi Kuti, Dr. John Carney, the godfather of South African theater, Business Maverick, Richard Branson, but to name a few. On this episode of Africa State of Mind, we speak to two phenomenal ladies that make me proud to be an African woman. Their African state of mind is on fleek with the capital OMG. We start. Out with Osas Igodaru Ajibade, a Nigerian-American actress, humanitarian, the first Nigerian to hold the title for the Miss Black USA pageant in 2010, and founder of the Joyful Joy Foundation, an organization raising funds and awareness towards the fight against malaria. Then, in the second half of this episode, we end with the stunningly amazing Zimbabwean-born CNN anchor Robin Creel. She's representing and telling African stories like nobody else. She was Nick from ENCA and. This probably happened after the former first lady of the United States of America, Michelle Obama, basically lauded and thanked her for her selfless work and all that she had done for the continent as a journalist. But before that, let's cross over to Nigeria with Osas. Osas, it's such a pleasure to have you on Africa State of Mind. I want to share a story about how it is that I first got to know you. I don't know if I've ever told you the story when we've we've, we've caught up. But basically, um when I worked uh, at the other media group <laughs> I can't I won't say the name. Um basically mm-hmm. I remember I just walked in and I I just started working with them and then um there were I was sitting there in a meeting and Biola Labi was there and Gideon Khobani, all these people on there, they were basically talking about how oh they were getting this hot you know, this hot woman to come and join the t- Cast and everything, and they went on about you, and they're like, She was in Cadillac Records. She, you know, did stuff with Tyler Perry. And I'm I'm literally sitting there thinking, Why would she come? Then, like, she was the first black miss USA. And in my mind, I, I you know, I didn't say this because I was kind of new and I was the youngest manager, as you know. So in my mind, I was like, Oh, that's a fantastic idea. But in my mind, I'm like, why would somebody who basically is working with Tyler Perry, is in Cadillac Records, which Beyonce was in, is the first black Miss USA from Nigeria, was born and, you know, raised in 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 the States. Like, and she's, you have your life happening, like things are happening. Why would she decide to pack her bags, leave New York, New York and head out to Lagos? So what was it that made you decide that? Yeah, what was it that made you decide that this
2: offer was worth it?
0: <laughs> well, at the time, I just graduated with my master's in acting, mm. and um, I had a conversation with my aunt who lives in Abuja, but She was in New York visiting, mm. and she was saying, oh, okay, this is great. You're the first this black USA who was Nigerian descent. You're graduating with your master's in acting. You have all of these accolades. You're doing so well. You're on this show. You're featured here. You're doing great. But you know what? It doesn't matter about all this stuff you achieved. If people at home don't know who you are, mm. it doesn't matter. Wow. And that's what hit me so hard um, when she said that. I said, you know what? I've always wanted to work in in Africa, you know? And, I mean, this is my homeland. I need to be able to come back home and people need to know who I am. Mm. So she told me that she knew someone that knew someone that knows someone. Been,
1: <laughs> that you know, sounds like the African story. I, I know someone.
0: And pretty much, <laughs> yeah. and that she can get me an audition for Tinsel. So I auditioned on tape. Mm. I, I emailed it in, and then a few weeks later, I'm getting an offer
1: to be on the show for six months. Wow! <laughs> so you packed I your bags.
0: In five years now. <laughs> yeah, you,
1: like you literally went to Lagos and you never went back. Hey, eh? you were like, I'm here and I'm here to stay.
0: And I never went back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, and you actually ended up getting married in Nigeria, oh, that's but that's happening. a whole other conversation because I'm sure my producer is very—he's actually very my sad to hear girl. that you're married. But (laughs) you're married with a beautiful child. (laughs) <laughs> now, Osas, let's, it's a thing. <laughs> now, Osas, let's talk about working in, because obviously you've had a lot of experience in the Nigerian entertainment industry, so Nollywood and just in general, and then in the American entertainment industry as a whole. For you, what are the similarities um, within the two industries and what are the main differences? And also, you know, you know, this whole term, everybody says, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I almost think from the amount of time I've spent in Lagos, I'm like, yeah. if you can can make it in Lagos, then you can make it mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the? Yeah, what are your thoughts <laughs> on all that? <laughs> you know what? I whenever people
0: ask me that, I, I I like to always say that you know what? It's very difficult to compare the industry with a three hundred, I think two hundred or three hundred year old industry, mm. which is Hollywood, comparing it to um, a, not even close to. Well, yeah, I'm not even sure how old Nollywood is, but the industry is it's not more than a hundred years, definitely, mm. you know. Um, but you know, just the hard work is, is something that I see that I can compare. Mm. the hard work both in the States and in Nigeria. People work very hard to come and bring on a great show, bring on an amazing television show, film. Whatever it is that we're working on, I always see the hard work, and that's always consistent. Mm. Um, I mean, having to deal with life or, you know, the environment, I mean, we always make it work here in Nollywood. But mm. in terms of comparisons, I see the hard work and the consistency within um, both industries. Mm. And I love it I love to be able to say You know what I, I've made it in New York And I've made it in, in Lagos And I have tough skin And you know I'm just really <laughs> grateful To just be able to say I'm a working actress yeah. Because it's not easy <laughs> In
1: in any part of the world at all That's so true Um, n- Now Osas also You know you, you obviously won The Miss Black USA um competition And you were the first Nigerian-American To win this title So I just want to bring this You know You winning the title Then into a conversation Right now with young girls in africa you know just around issues and politics around beauty and if you're not like a fairer shade of black you're not beautiful enough and everything you're like a gorgeous like chocolate sister like Mm. literally you know so um i just want to talk a bit about that and how (laughs) important you feel it is for there to be a lot more representation and you know and just just with regards to that like what are your feelings around that you know and just the celebration of all shades of brown versus just like one shade
0: Exactly. I actually decided to be a part, to participate in the Miss Lucky pageant because it celebrates what you were or mm. what you are. And that's being a proud black woman.
2: Mm.
0: Whether it's Light skin, dark skin, They're, we are shades of the rainbow when it comes to being a black woman. And that's what I loved about it. And even if you were tall, you were short, you were big, you were small, it didn't matter. They welcomed everybody, and everyone was a part of the pageant. And I loved that. I loved that I didn't have to worry about having to, you know, um, blend down. What they, what they were worried about was fitness and making sure that you were healthy.
1: Yeah. and making
0: sure that you were on point in terms of that, not having to look like um, a stick or whatnot because you're trying to fit into some mold mm. that depicts what beauty is. And what beauty is is you being beautiful both on the inside and on the outside. And that's what I really loved about being a part of Miss Black USA. And to represent that, especially as a first Nigerian, it, it, you know, I it, doors always open because of that, because I'm able to still on it and this was, I won this seven years ago. So, yeah.
1: you know, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. And now, um, Osasi, if I can just ask you a little bit of a p- almost, you know, political question. Um, you know, within, like, you know, when you were in the States and everything, you know, the whole thing with African-American and Black-American and then Africans from Africa <laughs> within America, did you kind of see uh-huh, there being a uh-huh, community? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? You know what I'm alluding to. Did you kind of see a, what was the relationship like with um the Africans who were directly from, you know, so hard for me to say that and not be politically incorrect, but the Africans who are directly from Africa. So if your parents are first-generation immigrants or, you know, you actually know where you come from versus yeah. the um, African-Americans or, or black Americans who've been there for uh, for quite a while mm-hmm. and, you know, for, you know, many, many generations after generations. What, what were the relationships like with yeah. the two different groups of people? Was it a case of like, oh, we're all black, we're all from Africa, we're all together? Or was there a case of like, you know, where there was... You know, people kind of separated, or one group felt more than the other, or there were stereotypes, or that sort of thing. From your perspective, growing up right. in Brooklyn,
0: yeah, I, well, I actually grew up in in the Bronx, okay, and there were a lot of Hispanic and Black around. Mm-hmm. And um, if you grew up in Queens or Brooklyn, you were around. The, there were like pockets of Africans here and, and Nigerians there, and you know, they had their pockets, but I didn't see a lot of that growing up. And in my school, at least in my elementary school, it was majority Spanish people. So as an African woman I, or African girl, I didn't feel beautiful because I couldn't relate to anyone. Um, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. So I had very low self-esteem when I was younger. And that really took a toll on me. I I wasn't proud to be African because I didn't see that around me. I didn't see the celebration of being African um, Mm. when I grew up. Only when I went home, you know, I was happy around my family. But going to school and after school, I didn't see a lot of that. So unfortunately, I had low self-esteem. But my parents saw something in me and decided to put me through modeling school and Mm. pageants to help me grow my confidence and everything and... Honestly, it was when I moved to, um, it was when I became Miss Black USA, actually. I, I um, was a part, I was in, I was invited to be part of the Nigerian Day Parade um, in October when I was Miss Black USA, and so I was part of the parade, and I was just, I felt so at home how all of these African people came together to celebrate the independence of Nigeria nice. and everyone was waving their um, African flag. I felt so confident. So so amazing. And that was the point where I realized that it doesn't matter where I come from. It doesn't matter where I grew up. I should always be proud of, of, of my people and represent that and not be afraid to say I'm a proud Nigerian African woman. And From that point on, I never looked back. It was difficult growing up, but you know, we go through our obstacles and we find our way.
1: Now, Osas, just um, with regards to you going to a school where it was mainly um, Hispanic um, people and everything, I, I just remembered a clip. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the yeah. actress Ozomo. Now, imagine I'm not going to say her name properly. Then you're going to be like, ah, Lee, you've dropped four, you've, you, Your hand has fallen. <laughs> you've fallen no. Hand. <laughs> But for No, you,
0: no, I know who. All, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's like with your name, like how did they pronounce it? Um you know what I mean? Especially your last name. Like, <laughs> did you have to change your name in school so that they could actually be able to pronounce it? Because as you were talking about that, I thought to myself, no. I wonder what they, <laughs> how they would pronounce her name. <laughs> no, funny
0: enough, I mean it was difficult for people to pronounce my last name, Iqbalara. Yeah. yeah. But um, when I was growing up, it just I just started to embrace. African mm. as I was older so I used um, Osas is my middle Osas is my sole name but mm. it's my middle name my first name is Martha
1: so oh, okay. <laughs> it
0: wasn't that
1: bad so did you go with Martha <laughs> in school Osas uh, huh
0: yeah, I know. I know. Martha was my. Martha is my government's first name. So Imagine Everyone called me Martha. And then when I just, when I decided to get into acting, I I decided. I, I think I went to one audition. Yeah. And I remember the casting director looked at me and she said, "Oh, you don't look like a Martha." When I think of Martha, I think of an old white woman. Yeah. So I said, huh, I think I need to. Uh, <laughs> I need to change my name." Yeah. And so I changed my. St- Name to
1: Osas Igedaro instead of And I, I'm actually I actually practice I actually practice your full name including your married name. I'm saying again that you're married because my producers standing oh, wow. next to me and I have to keep yes. reminding him. so <laughs> <laughs> okay so I practice yes. your name. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I go, I'm getting my Yoruba-ness on now. okay Osas Igodaro Ajibade Uh-oh. did I do right? Yay! We thanks. thanks Yes, you got it. Thanks, I got it, girl, I got it. <laughs> now, Ossas, just before yeah. we, we just, just before we wrap up with you, I was speaking to um to somebody in Nigeria who's a I won't you know she basically used to work at Pulse and she's kind of moved to she's moved on to BBC and everything. But I was and she's a close friend of mine. She actually was the one who was helping me pronounce your last name because I realized all the time that I've known as I never called her by. <laughs> Her full name um, And then And then she literally You know she kept sending me Voice notes And then she said to me Are you interviewing her She's got the biggest warmest heart, you know and I'm like, that's actually right. That's exactly what Osas is like. I don't I don't know anybody who's met you who's like this girl is so into herself. Like you're like the the girl next door, like the down girl, like everybody's like friend and everything. And so it's no surprise that you have the joyful joyful foundation. Can you talk to us a bit about just the importance of that mm-hmm. and doing um the th- philanthropy work, sorry
0: Absolutely. This year it was a bit hard for me to continue on with doing my outreach programs for Joyful Joy because of, um, you know, I had my baby, so, and Mm. I like to always go to the outreach programs, Um, but, you know, this year I was determined to make it at least once a month to go to different places um, in in Nigeria. My goal is to go throughout Africa to help alleviate malaria, Mm. Um, but, you know, I'm very grateful that we've been able to do it once a month this year. And go out to different communities um in in nigeria to help with our outreach program so what happens in the outreach program we go to a, a certain community um we work with the community there and we give out free medication we have free malaria testing we have bed nets that we give out for free um, we also have counseling and um, awareness sessions mm. so that people know how to use the bed nets and know how to stay um, healthy in regards to malaria. And we give out snacks and have entertainment. You know, it's a really outreach. It's a great outreach um, to bring the community together and to work together in regards to alleviating malaria. Now, we had a fundraiser in 2014 in the state, mm. and those are the funds that I've been that Joyful Joy has been using to put together these nice. um outreach programs. But um we yeah, sorry, we had one in two thousand and fourteen and so those are the funds we've been using. So now we're having a um a Joyful Joy Foundation presents last fest. So we're having a comedy fundraiser oh, happening nice. at B on twenty yes, on the twenty first of December at Terra Culture in Lagos, mm-hmm. and we have people, um, we have comedians featuring AY. Ivan oh, wow. um, Orji, who was an actress on the show Insecure. Wait, Osas, Osas. In, I've been friends with her.
1: Osas, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. see. Yes. see, see, see. Uh, don't make me come pull up my small Niger accent. You're saying name Shebi, as if you're just saying the one next door. So you said Ay, who's like the comedian <laughs> boss in Nigeria, basically. And then you just said, and then Ivan yes. Orji. Who, yes. Okay, let me let you continue. We'll finish. I'm judging you. <laughs> 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 I'm just really grateful
0: that everybody is coming together to really help with the foundation. These are big names that I'm naming, yes, yes and they have come and they said, okay, Osas, we're going to help you out. So yes. I have AY, I have Yvonne Oji, I have Chi Girl, I, oh I have k Black, I have Osh Baby, I have, we um, I also have a, um, we're going to show Katie's peak performance of Salah and the Kalakuta Queens during the concert as well. And I also have... Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And we also have um, a celebrity um, bid stage. So you can bid on a date with four celebrities. That would be Beverly Naya, oh, um, Alex Kubo, Ma'wuli Gabor, and Dorcas and, Shola-Faxton. Um, so I'm very excited that they even agreed to be a part of it as well so it's going to be an amazing event i'm really excited about it and we're, we're here to raise funds for a great cause i know a lot of events happening in december are all entertainment but you know we got a season some mm. giving back somehow it's the it's the month of giving so i'm very excited to have been able to put this together with the amazing team and amazing supporters
1: Osas, I don't actually know what else to say except thank you so much for spending time with us on Africa State of Mind and congratulations, you know, on the real, congratulations just on everything and yeah, I just think that it's amazing that, you know, that you're somebody who's been willing to build and rebuild, build and rebuild. And even with all of that and the success that you have, you also just take time out to make sure that, you know, children around Africa and people in general, you know, can, can start to, you know, fight this whole situation with malaria. So it's just such a, yeah, it's amazing to talk to you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And I'm still going to judge you because of a lot of things, but we'll talk about that matter somewhere else. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know what it no, is, Joe. You no know, comment. please. Oh. Please, me, I will. See, I spend so much time in Nigeria. I know how to just change my voice so that I say what I need to say. You're getting me? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Osas. Enjoy your evening. Oh,
2: Africa State of Mind.
1: I'm so thrilled to be having a conversation with my next guest on Africa State of Mind. In my opinion, she's an example of how a sense of purpose and the pursuit of truth can literally take you to a global audience and have your name on the lips of powerful figures and ordinary people alike. Robin Creel is a multiple award-winning journalist. She has covered some of the most defining stories in Africa over the last few years, including being there when the fatal Westgate bombings happened in Nairobi, Kenya. She was there when the hostages that had been held in Somalia in Somalia by the pirates had been released. She actually was even on a plane with them when they left. She was there when the then President of America, President Barack Obama, the first sitting American president to visit Ethiopia, was there. And simultaneously, she also covered the attacks that happened at a top luxury hotel in Mogadishu, Somalia, while he was within the region. It was her face that told the story of the deadly attack in Burkina Faso. She was there when there was an attempted coup in Burundi, and she was also there when the when President Tabu Mbeki was called she was there in 2007 and 2008 during the price control crisis and the crackdown of state media in zimbabwe born and raised in bulawayo zimbabwe robin creel is a young african journalist and international anchor she makes everybody proud she makes me especially proud and i'm so happy that you're here on africa state of mind how is that
3: (laughs) Oh, oh my goodness lee that's way that's amazing thank you guys so much um that's really
1: really wonderful. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. So let's just get straight into it. I'm, you know, obviously with everything that uh, that's been happening with Zimbabwe, you've been at the center of the conversation globally. And I remember I read an article that you had written in the Daily Maverick where you basically spoke about how you felt the night that um, Robert Mugabe was meant to resign, and then the night, that, and then when you finally found out that he actually did resign. Can you go through those emotions for us, you know, as a Zimbabwean, and also how it felt. to to be on the other side of the world when you could have been celebrating with people in your country?
3: Sure. Um, it, it, it's been the most incredible story to have watched from afar. And of course, as, a, as someone you know who was born and raised and um, you want to be there mm. when this is happening, one of the biggest stories probably I'll ever witness of my home country. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't be there. Mm. Um, and but i had the uh privilege of covering it from uh cnn's headquarters in atlanta on the anchor desk and it was amazing um it it was what it was like watching people that you grew up with that you have known since you were little um finally kind of coming into the light seeing um freedom and tasting freedom for for many of of young people uh, for the first time and and that was amazing to witness from from the other end of the spectrum how i felt uh, the night when he did not resign when mugabe did not resign i felt like i'd been punched in the stomach because mm. i was on the anchor desk and i was fully expecting i thought oh my gosh it's going to happen. Like this guy is the only president I've ever known. He's going to step down, and I almost felt a little bit sorry for him because he looks so small mm. and next to all those big, big generals in their in their camouflage gear. And then he didn't resign, and I thought, I, I just thought, no, it's going to happen again. We're going to see ten more years of this rule or the rule of his wife. Um, uh, you know, a rule that has been very painful for a lot mm. of people. And then a couple of days later, he did resign, and it was. As a journalist, you're supposed to be unbiased. You're supposed to cover things without emotion. But this is a place that I've watched go from, you know, being this wonderful place to grow up in to really being very oppressive. Mm-hmm. And um, he really did not do justice
1: to his people, in my opinion. So it was it was pretty uh, amazing to watch him finally uh, It was kind of Wizard of Oz-like, you know, as you were saying about how small he looked, because it's like he always seemed like a, and I think that this happens a lot when you have people who've been ruling longer than what they should, it's like they seem like really big, and then when their day of reckoning, so, so to speak, comes, it's like they're almost like tiny, and it's almost like what were we scared of all these years, you know? Exactly. And now to see people
3: high-fiving and fist pumping the soldiers that we'd all been taught to be so scared yeah. of um, and to sort of not look them in the eye, suddenly they they seem like human beings. And as you say, um, these these guys uh, who have been uh, in charge for so long and, and seen as so strong suddenly they're running for their lives and fleeing across the border to South Africa in the dead of night and you're thinking this this is all it took they're humans like us yeah. they're not these scary um you know, figures, these, these ghouls that you worry about coming to, to whisk you away in the middle of the night.
1: Exactly. And just talking about, um, you know, the soldiers and being afraid of them, um, I think it was in 2007, you were covering a march by women in Zimbabwe, which I think is quite interesting because around the world, it's been the women marches that have kind of, you know, kind of led to a lot yeah. of changes. But it, it, this particular march was just about women um, wanting to be able to, you know, not have, because they were marching because they didn't have enough money um, to take their children to school, or there was no electricity to cook for their families mm-hmm. at night, which is a very basic um, kind of human situation. And during this particular protest march, you actually had like a kind of an encounter with one of the the, the Zimbabwean police force. Could you maybe tell us what happened around that? Sure, um, and and this is
3: just one small incident of of a billion um, mm. that you know that. Many Zimbabweans have gone through. And, and while I get the chance to tell my story, it's important to remember that people have died, you mm. know, trying to stand up for their rights. Activists have gone missing and never seen again. So hopefully, um, this time will bring a bit of reckoning for, for those families who mm. have wondered where their loved ones are. But in my, in my uh, story, I was covering a, a women's march, Women of Zimbabwe
0: Arise, a group called Waza. Mm.
3: There, there are mantras actually similar to the South African uh, women's movement. They say, We strike a woman, strike a yeah um and they were marching appealing to the the government appealing to the police saying w- you are our sons you are our daughters and we cannot wow. put food on the table to feed our own families like mm-hmm. please help us as women really trying to appeal to that uh, emotional side well they got beaten and it, it was it was Terrible to witness um, i 'll never forget it being beaten with fists <laughs> with batons with guns, and, and I these are started, women as a journalist, yeah. I was filming. these are women that get, are sure. getting beaten by men, male police, and as I started filming, um, I started walking closer and closer, thinking, oh my gosh, I have to get this shot i, I, I i've never seen anything like this it was brutal, mm-hmm. and that's when they uh I guess they saw me i 'm not really sure and The adrenaline kicked in, it was very terrifying. I was falling on the ground a lot, and Mm -hmm. I couldn't work out why. It was because I was being hit by a a group of policemen and their batons. Um, I think the the moment I realized what was happening was when one man pulled me off the floor by my ponytail, and then smacked me across the face. And it was then that I thought, oh oh God, they're gonna kill me, I'm I'm dead. Um, And luckily, I was able to to not be arrested that day. I was arrested briefly, but I got Mm -hmm. away. Um, and, you know, that gave me a, a true sense of what these people, what my own people, many of them sta- trying to stand mm. up for their human rights, were facing every day.
1: Now, now, you know, with regards to you being in a Dangerous situation, we had a, an Interview with Nehama, who's a Journalist in South Africa as well And she basically, mm-hmm. you know, she kind of Was warning with regards to You know, like putting your life there Like putting your life at stake for getting the right Story, and you were in a similar situation mm-hmm. But now you were also there when The Westgate bombings were happening, which were You know, I'm originally from the East Africa region So just seeing this happen in Westgate I was like, what? Like how is this Even happening? Yeah. And you've been at the center. I I mean, even you're, when you traveled into um, Somalia, into a, a territory that had previously been taken over by by Al-Shabaab and you were kind of were there. Mm-hmm. And then I think the story goes that one of the somebody got shot within your convoy by one of the soldiers got shot by, you know, by one of the people who was around there. So I guess my question is, right. when is the right time to back away from a story if it's if, if it becomes right. dangerous? And then, you know, like, how do you manage that? And then also, how do you manage just keeping the cameras rolling and keeping the story? Story going even when you see people In a situation where there's a lot of um, You know where, where people are being hurt like How do you balance that as a journalist and as a Human Sure uh,
3: great Question um, luckily Usually I don't have to worry about Keeping the camera rolling because mm. I have a Cameraman <laughs> and my cameramen are usually Much more attuned And calm than I am because yeah. I Tend to sort of do stupid things When I get scared yeah. Um So when we've been, for example, in South Sudan, we were caught in an air raid um, and and this uh, leg was dropping bombs on us. I I was absolutely terrified. I lost all uh, sort of sense in my legs and kept falling down. Um, Wait, wait, just repeat that story.
1: There was an an air raid and you lost all sense of your legs. Sorry, because I I just want to be sure that I heard that correctly (laughs) because I'm scared just listening. Yeah. It
3: was utterly terrifying. Yeah. Um, we just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I mean, for, to, to, in order to catch the story, we were in the perfect place. But I remember thinking at that moment, this is so stupid. I have not had children yet. I'm going to die. Why am I here? Why have I put myself and my cameraman in this situation? Mm. And uh, he he was a Kenyan cameraman, a very, very uh, brave and uh, experienced cameraman. Orto Sori is his name. And He managed to keep rolling despite the fact that his correspondent me was uh, Freaking out. So he got some amazing footage and and we were able to Finally shed light on the story that no one had really captured Mm -hmm. before the fact that the the Sudanese were bombing um, The South Sudanese along the border. Mm -hmm. So it worked out right in the end, but in hindsight I I really wish that it hadn't happened because Mm -hmm. I, I I You just don't want to ever feel responsible, feel that you Mm. could have been responsible if something had happened, if we'd gotten injured, if my cameraman had, God forbid, gotten killed. Mm. I would have never forgiven myself. So when is the right time to turn around and say, okay, I, I would always say go with your gut and always err on the side of caution, because you can never go back. If you survive and your crew member dies, you'll never forgive yourself. And I think now that I'm a parent, especially I have a a young son, Mm -hmm. which is a large reason why I wasn't able to go to Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Um, As a parent, I I think to myself, how could I put my own parents through that, Mm -hmm. that worry? And I think, um, you know, How could I have put someone else's appearance through... I mean, my my cameraman had a son. What if something had happened to him? How would I have told his family? So it's it's things like that. I would always... Now, definitely, I'm a bit older, a bit wiser, err on the side of caution. Um, At the time, we were extremely lucky that nothing happened, but also, you know, I had an experienced cameraman. I always tried to surround myself with people who are local, Mm. like from the area. Which is important. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't feel comfortable. And you say, okay, rather we go with your gut feeling. You are, you know, Congolese. You are Sudanese. You are, you know, whatever. smiley. If you're not comfortable going here, me neither. Okay.
1: And now, just you know, with regards to your courageous work that you that you've been doing from Sudan to you know, I'm in Nairobi and obviously in Zimbabwe as well. Um, so you had like an experience that I think that. All of us wish that we had the experience of, but also as we watched it happen, we were all like, "Yeah, that's me," you know, because you have that sort of personality that when something good happens to you, everybody else is like, "Yeah, that's me. I know her." Um, when when firstly when First Lady Michelle Obama was in South Africa, she actually gave you like a she 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 recognized you in front of an audience of people and about your your brave your you being brave and your courage and all of this. And what I liked in a post interview um afterwards is that you were you know you you obviously were really happy about it, but you also kept on going back to the fact that there are other people, not just you, who've been part of the fight and, you know, who've been trying to, you know, have their voices heard
2: with regards to Zimbabwe. And then there's Robin Creel. She's a young reporter from Zimbabwe who has written about corruption and human rights abuses in her country. She was beaten by police. Her home raided. Her mother imprisoned. But she still hasn't lost her passion for reporting because as she put it the people of zimbabwe want their stories to be told and no one would have blamed robin where's robin no one would have blamed robin if after all she'd been through she decided to quit reporting and pursue an easier career. But these young women, and these are just examples of stories that go on and on, these young women could not be content with their own comfort and success when they knew that other people were struggling. You see, that's how people of conscience view the world. So what was it like for you
1: when, you know, Michelle Obama just says your name out of the blue? Sure, it was,
3: um, it was unbelievable. I I, uh, was just instantly in tears because I think I was embarrassed. You know, you're a little bit embarrassed and and you're so overwhelmed. But, um, you know, as you say, it's while I was a face and I'm so happy that she recognized me because Zimbabwe did get a shout out through me. And Mm. the fact that so many journalists um, have been imprisoned, have been beaten, have been uh, treated badly. For years, journalists, too, unlike me, I was able to leave and come and work mm. in South Africa and get a job in South Africa, eventually make my way to, to CNN. Um, but many had to stay, and they have had to endure terrible things. Their families have been targeted. Um, and that, that for me is the worst my mum my mm. was targeted as a result of, of something I did and I, I just felt like I could never forgive myself for that um, but journalists had to endure those sorts of things and activists as well um, particularly the- there are still people missing to this day and they, their families have sure. no idea where they are. Mm. Um, and that is something that I really hope that this new regime in Zimbabwe, you know, everyone says it's it's more of the same, it's more of the same. Mm. Maybe they can at least bring a bit of closure to some of those families' families um, Who've had, who've had their loved ones go missing but not only that Lee um, so many Zimbabweans who could po- possibly be listening to 702 in South Africa millions of Zimbabweans have had to leave and they've had to leave because of mm. economic reasons of political reasons of, of um, social reasons They some of them had to cross across the Limpopo River you know braving mm. crocodiles and hippos and have they, some of them have PhDs, they're teachers and they, take, they have to take menial jobs such drive car guards as as, as, as nannies and, and that with their degree and, and their immense um, background and intelligence and I feel I, I hope that they also will get the chance to go back to Zimbabwe and to put those years of hard work and education um, to good use because uh, you know no one deserves to to have to go backwards yeah.
1: and now you know robin when you spoke about you know some of the people from zimbabwe having to cross the limpopo river and everything like right now in the world, everybody's talking about what's going on in Libya, you know, um, and Go it's on, obviously yeah. it's obviously highlighting and congratulations to CNN for just breaking that story. Um, but it's obviously, you know, I guess this the scariest thing is the fact that a lot of the people who are migrants now have to pass through Libya because they feel that their homes in whatever African country they are from, that there's no future, there's no hope at all. So whether it's a mother who will be like, okay, my daughter can leave and, you know, you pay smugglers and everything to put yourself through the most dangerous situation, um, where you might even lose your life to in the hope to get to, you know, either Europe or to America. What are your thoughts around that from the perspective of African leadership and how African leaders, you know, almost have to be held accountable in the countries of origin to make sure that people don't have to have to leave their countries under such dangerous situations?
3: Oh, I mean, I think African leaders should be held thoroughly accountable. Uh, If people are are willing to to brave being auctioned off like livestock Mm. rather than live in their countries, um, then... Leadership needs to take a long, hard look at itself. I mean, one of the things that that makes me so sad is when you hear of a leader of so and so country having to seek hospital treatment outside uh, of their own country. Exactly. Because I think, well, if really if, if it's not good enough for if it's not good enough for, for you as a leader, what makes you think that you know that it's going to be good enough for someone that can't afford mm. all the things that you can afford? That can't afford to take a flight to South Africa whenever they get sick. It's um, it's, it's 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 double standards and it's hypocritical. And I've known um, an old lady who I who I grew up with, who was told when she when she had uh, contracted a, a chronic disease, cancer. Here's some here's some aspirin. Go home and and die at home. Wow. And I was horrified. And that's in Zimbabwe. Um, you know. Where our medical care used to be excellent, now everyone has to, everyone mm. can afford it. Can will go to South Africa for medical care. Um, the slave auction story was was horrifying, and uh, CNN did a beautiful uh, job mm. at, at exposing um, that in that that medieval practice in that's happening right now in Libya. And you know, it's it's those sorts of stories that can really make that you realise, like, wow, my job is so. Actually, it's quite important. People mm. will listen. We can make change. We can shed light on that. Um, we, you know, the pen sometimes is mightier than than the sword, and it's lovely when that when we're reminded of that and the change that if we tell the right stories and if we, you know, risk some risk our own security
1: at times, you really can have an impact. Great, thank you so much, Robin. I really appreciate your time and just your insights. And it's just, yeah. I just all the work that you're doing, it really is recognized everywhere. And thank you for just being like a va- a face and a voice for Africa. I have to ask you one final question before we go, though. So. Obviously, at the moment, um, CNN and a lot of other media around the world is being attacked by a lot of populist leaders without mentioning names, you know, all over. Yeah. And there is a situation where there's, you know, this whole thing about facts versus the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you obviously coming from Zimbabwe have been in a situation where there's been a crackdown on, on media. You know, when you see what is happening in in the Western world, when you see um what's happening in the Western world and they're trying to be crackdowns on media and all of that, how does that make you feel with regards to what you've seen happen in Zimbabwe? How would you draw the comparison?
3: Oh, it's it's infuriating, and um, you know, people a, a lot of people have no idea what if you don't have a free press can lead to, mm. um, you know, when, when when you don't have journalists who can walk up to a public official and ask them face to face, hey, why did you do this? Why did you feel this? Why, why did you um, say no? And, and do you know that you saying no has consequences of X, Y, and Z? Um, when you can't ask those questions, of top officials, then then your freedoms are eroded mm. and everything that everyone's fought for and uh, civil liberties, that, that's the way it's... The freedoms are eroded mm. and it can lead to such sad stuff take a look at zimbabwe take a look at yep. you know various countries not only in africa around only, the world um, yeah. around the world mm. you have to have journalists asking those tough questions and holding people accountable um i also just wanted to say Lee, that thank you so much for all of those lovely compliments but i hope that you understand that you as a talk radio host and the subset 702 and other um you know privately and um, owned media companies do is, is fantastic work. And you guys are also extremely brave. You have to keep it up. You have to keep asking those questions of uh, officials in South Africa and across the continent as well.
1: Thank you so much, Robin. I'm actually smiling the same way you were smiling when um, Michelle <laughs> Obama said your name. And I think I'm going to cry the same way you cried when she said your name. Oh, my God. <laughs> But Robin thank you so well, thank much you. and yeah we'll just keep looking forward to seeing you on the screens and thank you for being a voice and a face for Africa to the world thanks and i hope to i uh, hope to see you all soon i i, I really miss africa <laughs>
2: Africa State
1: of Mind. And that's how we wrap up this year 2017 where Africa State of Mind is concerned. Thank you to these two amazing ladies. I just really am so inspired by both Robin and Osas. And we just want to say to both of you, when you guys shine, we all shine. So please keep continuing to make Africa proud because you both make us feel that dreams are possible and our dreams are valid. So congratulations on all your success. Please remember to rate us on iTunes, tweet us at Africa State Mind, and let let us know what you'd like to hear more of facebook us on the africa state of mind group and also let us know exactly what it is that you're up to where is your africa state of mind at share your stories would love to hear from you and put you and yours on blast until the next episode happy holidays we'll chat in the new year in the next few weeks time or perhaps on twitter in the next five minutes that's how we wrap up africa state of mind 2017 with Lika kasumba